It's May 31st, 2021. This is Rook. She is an Iranian-Canadian fashion designer, stylist, and entrepreneur who says she wants to show the world the true power and uniqueness of Middle Eastern women. And she's doing it with her growing brand, La Femme Rouge. But Rojan Houchiar is also intent on doing fashion in a sustainable and ethical way. She joins us from Vancouver, coming up. But first, he is an Italian writer and documentarian who has in recent years developed a particular profound passion for Persians. Antonello Sacchetti joins me from Rome to talk talk about his mad love for all things Iranian, plus your letters about our series looking back at the Pahlavi dynasty. This is Conversations from, to, and about the Iranian diaspora. I'm Gian Gomeshi. This is Rook. Hi there, welcome to episode 114 of Rook. Hope you're all keeping well wherever you are tuning in from around the world. Salam Dustan Aziz. We are on an ongoing mission to build a new audio visual encyclopedia of Encyclopedia Bachaha. Encyclopedia Chibisher. Yeah, that. <laughs> First of all, could you speak in a, a little more distinctly? I couldn't understand what you said. Say it again. Oh my God. Let's stick to encyclopedia. Yeah. <laughs> Can we not say encyclopedia more yeah. again? Wow. That's, that's a, a hard word. Yeah. That, no one uses that. Do even <laughs> no, know? Like, you know diary. Uh huh. Diary. Okay. Diary? Like. No, no, like, like a circle. circle. Yeah. Oh, like like Donestani, huh? Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> let's, let's just Did move you on. know that, Captain Reza? Yeah, I heard, I, I heard that. It's just us, Gian. Yeah, let's yeah. face it. <laughs> I mean, so if you if the encyclopedia has a name, like Encyclopedia Britannica, what do you say? Britannica. <laughs> oh my God. People have had lunch, and, and like, people have gone on a trip and come back by the time he's finished saying that word. Do you actually use that word? Is yeah, that yeah, it's used really? quite a lot, actually. Wow, okay. Jeez. We won't be using that word. It's like, uh, yeah, it's one of those languages, like, you know, how when you don't speak a language and uh, the person's like, he's like, what did they say? And they said, hello. You know, you're like, what? It's like, uh, I mean, but I thought I'd speak Farsi. You know, I'm like, what is this now? There's always some word to humiliate us, right? I thought I would say, what's encyclopedia? And he would go, hope to get encyclopedia. You know, what was it? You know, Arif the singer. Yes. Okay, and Dayer. Is he involved in this? He sang at my parents' wedding. Before. So imagine Dayer and Arif. Dayer, Arif. Put a Tamal in the between. Oh God! Screw this! Screw this! Dayer, Tamal, Arif. The Britannica. Good for you. You retained it. I have no chance. Listen, yes, I did not retain it. I just all of. All I know is RF. <laughs> Not only was he a great singer, is he a great singer and performer? Uh, 
he's uh, an encyclopedia. I mean, he's uh, a, the man behind the diary. If me and you went to Iran and spent a year there, we would remember this stuff. But no, just no, no we wouldn't. Not that word. I don't think that word. I mean, people don't even use encyclopedias anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Right? That's true. They're, they're, they're like Instagram. Wiki- Wikipedia. You know, yeah. Oh, what's Wikipedia? Is it Wikipedia? No. Diary. Diary. It's uh It's diary. Vegan. It's always like some, some famous musical. singer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be how they remember Diarrhea, it. Diarrhea, Gugush. Uh, okay, where were we? The I show know. hasn't started yet. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you, you we we are on an ongoing mission to build a new audio visual <laughs> it's the fact that he says it so and you know what bugs me is like I was like hey Shia what is he knows that word I probably don't I mean I don't know right yeah. so then he says it like really fast no and slurs it you know no just so that you and I he's like I don't know yeah, I mean it's the same for me for to pronounce encyclopedia. It's f- it's hard for mm-hmm. me. Uh-huh. Encyclopedia, pedia. Pedia. Well, that's yeah. why I'm saying if we were in Iran, if like put us in Shaya's case, mm-hmm. if we were in a foreign country, well, foreign as in like it's not our first yeah. language, we would remember that word. You know how you remember encyclopedia? No. N uh-huh. N uh-huh. and then Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> <laughs> Then Pedia. RF. I love it. I love it. Diarya, Diarush, Diarusha. Did your parents enforce speaking Persian at home? No, we didn't okay. speak. Uh, no, no. I mean, they. Well, first of all, as we've learned, <laughs> my father was speaking something that was not any <laughs> any language. He was teaching <laughs> me <laughs> like Hamaskaranat, <laughs> <laughs> you know, some old version <laughs> of Persian, <laughs> Arabic, like uh, street cool language. I don't know what yeah, my dad was. Uh, that's cute. Actually, yeah. I, I just remembered that Dairatul Maarif <laughs> is a, ha, has a new word. Actually, oh, you can uh, say Danish name. Okay, okay. Right. That's really Actually, cool. that's what I thought it was. Yeah, Danish name. I knew it was a word. Danish name. I know. Danish name Britannica. Yes. That makes sense. That's mm. easier. Yeah, that's much easier. So, uh, thanks, Shia. Dairatul Maarif is Arabic. Is an Arabic word. That's right? why I didn't recognize it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't listen to but these but Arabic words. Hamas Haranah. <laughs> um, listen, we're on a bunch of different platforms. We're coming to you on rookmedia.com. That's our website where it houses all those platforms. So you can just go, you find all our episodes, our guests, rookmedia.com. Or if you want to head to straight to one of our platforms, Spotify, SoundCloud, Instagram, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, and Telegram. And as I usually say, if you want to see uh, some visuals with uh, what you're hearing with Rook, uh, switch over to YouTube. And if you like your Rook descriptions and bulletins in Persian, uh, as well as English, check us out on Telegram. Rojan Hushiar, coming up in about 45 minutes from now. She's this uh, Wunderkind fashion designer based in Vancouver now, and uh, the woman behind the brand La Femme Rouge. Um, I love how ambitious she is. She She's not only doing these lines that integrate Middle Eastern colors and flavors and fashions with the Western, but doing it with a focus on local production, uh, environmental ethics, and a vegan approach. Mm, yeah. 
not a vegan <laughs> approach, <laughs> but a vegan approach. A yeah. Superstar singer vegan. <laughs> also, perhaps with a vegan approach. I mean, I don't know what his predilection for design was. but uh, uh, So she will be joining us. Looking forward to talking to Rojan. And in just a few minutes, we're going to go to Rome. Uh, I'm looking forward to this, to speak to Antonello Sacchetti. He's quite a character. I've checked out a bunch of his podcasts and his writing, although most of it is in Italian, but he does some in English as well. Um, He's an Italian journalist, a blogger, a documentarian, and a businessman who has gone to, he was so taken by Iran on his first visit in 2005 that he's developed this deep passion for all things Persian and written five books about Iran and Iranians. So we'll get to Antonello Sacchetti, uh, who's, I think, uh, standing by right now. He's in Rome. We'll get to him in a few minutes. Let me do this uh, formally. Uh, hello, the fabulous Keon. Hi, Gia. Hello, Captain Reza. Hello, sir. And hello, Groovy Shia. Hi, nice to have you all back on on air after uh, uh, doing our series last week, uh, which I was doing solo there about the Pahlavi dynasty. And we've been getting a, a bunch of reactions yeah. to that, a three-part series. I have to say, my mom, tech, you know, I... I got a shout out to my mom. My mom is the best. You know, she. she I mean, I know everybody thinks their mom is the best, but she's really the best. And she, uh, uh, she listens to every episode of Rook. You know, like right away. Like uh, she'll sometimes, and I, and she doesn't want to bother me, but she'll like if we're a bit late. You know, she'll be like, "Um, just checking in. I don't. (laughs) I see that there's nothing. You know. Uh, so uh, yeah, so so she she texted me like three in the morning or something. Like she listened right away to all three parts of the series. Wow. Isn't that lovely? Wow. And then she breaks it down and she says, "When this person said this," mm-hmm. and I just thought that was so you nice. Have a great mom. So I was texting with my mom, and then there's Shia. What did Shia <laughs> I, was, I was texting with Shia on the weekend, <laughs> and it's. I just want to mention that you know. Texting, you think that Shia speaks kind of slowly, right? Mm-hmm. Sort of charming. <laughs> But you know when you're texting someone and you can see that the other person is typing, yeah, yeah. right? So I'll text. I'll be like, "Yeah, what's up, Shia?" And then, and then I'll see, like the thing is like typing, typing, typing. I mean, Shia takes, you know, seeing that he is typing on WhatsApp is it's like a, an exercise in like vipassana meditation. Like you're you're staring at a wall, waiting for it to be over, and hoping there is some like is payoff. It poetry. Like no, no, it goes on for. I mean, it's exactly like his word for encyclopedia. Oh. You know, it's like you, you're waiting, you're waiting, waiting, and then it'll be like, uh, "Hello, Azizam." You know, and it'll be like, "What have you been doing the whole time?" Because you know, it's that thing where you, when you see the mm. typing, you go mm-hmm. like, "We talk to each other on WhatsApp," so you see typing, and you go, "Oh, he's." It's something's imminent. I have mm. to wait. Yeah. I ha- I can't move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, otherwise, if you don't see anything, you go, okay, I'll go on with my day, yeah. and then Chaya will text back or something. Now, there's always immediate. He's on it, you know, mm. but you're just sitting there waiting. You know, <laughs> I don't know what it is you're doing. What? Yeah, it's Walk hard. No, it. I mean typing in English. I, uh-huh. it, it's hard. It takes okay. a oh, okay. lot of All time right. for okay. me. But but it's getting better and better. I promise. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird too because in I noticed in Persian. You leave voice messages for people, yes. but you like to type in English. Uh, I think if I leave them voice messages, it might be longer because mm. I have to say um, Zian, um, um, you know, um, and so you take a good point. impression of yourself. I, uh, now I feel bad. I didn't know it was about your uh, about the English. I thought uh, because honestly, Shai, when the text finally arrives <laughs> and we're talking, you know, fifteen minutes in, it's like three words. Like I don't know what you've been working on. Your English isn't bad, you know. Uh. 
It's like you're eating a sandwich and you you type one word and then you stop and it just keeps saying typing. He's got a dilemma. He's always always undecisive. It's like, should I say this? Now he deletes it again and he types oh, again. Now I, that, now I feel bad. That's sweet. I appreciate that you're, I, if it's a learning curve with the English, uh, I mean, certainly I can't type back in Farsi. It would take yeah. much longer. Oh God, you would see you typing for hours. You know. Yeah, sometimes meanwhile, I mean, while I'm writing text, I go to dictionary, find a word mm. and come back and it takes okay. a lot of time. That's yeah. so awesome. You go to the diary. Uh, no, uh, no, 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 no. I was going. To the, you go to the RF's diary. No, I was. No, the RF's diary. That's gold. What? No, the new one. The Danish name. Ah, the Danish name. I was thinking Shenas name, which is something else. The Danish name. Yeah. Danish name. Right. Uh, so you see, we're both on a learning curve. Me and Gian on the Persian language, and right. Shia on English. Yeah. Uh, hey, if you um, if you're loving this riveting conversation, <laughs> <laughs> you can become a patron of. Uh, Listen, the content. If this is your first time tuning in, it's really good content go go back is. listen to the pat levy series <laughs> forget the last 15 minutes please just listen to the pat levy series and there was smart content there yeah. and you'll uh, and of course uh, if you are a regular listener of rook uh, we do appreciate you know lately we've been getting a few more people becoming patrons and it's That's really great. nice we really appreciate you guys thank you and you know everyone says don't mention me on the air because they have the option mm. they say they're too modest everybody That's and I'm, I'm ready to mention sweet. the names but so thank you to those of you guys who've become patrons in in recent days we really appreciate it it is about uh uh you know us keeping this going mm -hmm. you go to rookmedia.com the uh support us button up there and for five dollars or ten dollars a month you become a rook patron and we promise that will mean something as well in terms of our delivery to you of some <laughs> uh, some sort of gift or newsletter or something fun uh, and we're gonna figure it out um in the coming days on, on Rook, I wanted to mention Nima Nazeri in the Rook studio for our Thursday show this week. Uh, really looking forward to that. Very funny guy. Uh, if he's a star, his mother is the superstar. <laughs> yeah. If you've been watching his uh, Instagram channel, I mean, he's just, it's very funny stuff. Yeah. Nima Nazeri, the comedian, the actor coming up. Nikki Nojumi, who yeah. is a um, legendary uh artist uh, first in Iran and then in, he's been in New York for some four decades since basically being exiled and um, it's an honor to have him on the show I guess he's in his 70s now or so yes yeah. Yeah. maybe late close 70s. to 80 yeah. yeah and he is uh but but i know he's sharp and i know he's still working hard and, and um, has recently had a couple of distinctions uh global distinctions uh, named one of the top artists actually he was he was on a list of the top living artists uh, of Iran, the top five living artists of Iran, mm -hmm. um, uh, oh, wow. that was actually a survey done in Iran, which was interesting. Wow. Um, so he's coming up, Hila Sediqi, the um, the young poet. Uh, she will be here and uh, or on the line from Tehran. And in Rook Studio, Sahar Golshani, another very funny presence on uh, online these days. And uh, she's got a, a very, very important story to tell about uh, the way she grew up uh, 
and um, she's very, very open and direct about it. Her podcast and uh, it's called Unfiltered. Um, if you know her work, you know she's she doesn't mince words, and she's also very funny. I'm looking forward to hearing her story and uh, having her amazing presence here in the Rook Studio. Sahad Golshani in the coming days on Rook as well. Uh, we've got uh, letters about the Pahlavi yeah, series, right? Yeah, yeah, quite a mixed bag. Okay. I mean, listen, when it comes to Iranian politics, you know you're going to get some letters. <laughs> Even if it's an assessment by academics exactly. of the legacy of yeah. the late Shah of Iran, it, you're going to get uh, different opinions. Mm-hmm. So we will hear those and we'll get to letters at the end of the show. Rojan Hushiar in about 45 minutes, but first... He is an Italian business communications guy who has, in recent years, developed a particular profound passion for Iranians. Indeed, Antonello Sacchetti is a journalist, blogger, and documentarian who was so taken by Iran and Persian culture after his first visit in 2005 that he returned right away and has now been to Iran almost 20 times. He has parlayed his passion into five books about Iran and Iranians, including The Tehran Boys, Persian Mysteries, and Trans-Iran. He also has a regular podcast in Italian about Iran, various documentaries, an Iranian news and culture web website and blog called Diruz, and social media videos and interviews with members of the Iranian-Italian community. Antonello has gone so deep into this interest, it is not his day job, by the way, that he now appears with some regularity on Italian television as an Iran expert. Right now, Antonello Sacchetti joins me from Rome, Italy today. Ciao. Hello, sir. Ciao, everybody. Salam. Khubi? Khubam Farsi. I'm happy that you are. Farsi Baladam. Yeah, great to talk to you. Uh, I am so interested in your journey. You, you, let me get this straight. You're an Italian man with no Persian lineage or Iranian blood, but your passion has become all things Iran and Iranian. Do you feel like you're an adopted Iranian at this point? Are you part of us? Oh, I hope so. It would be a very a great honor for me. Thank you very much. <laughs> I hope so. But you know that every day, every time I go to Iran, people ask me, but you, you are Italian. Um, are you sure? I remember that a guy some years ago told me, well, but I know, but your family is from Iran. No, 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 sir. <laughs> you mean because of the way you look? <laughs> oh, yeah. What is it about the way you look that you think makes people think you're Iranian? Oh, I think maybe this part of me. <laughs> your eyebrows? You know, yeah, yeah. I think, that, I think the short order answer is I'm very handsome. That's why I'm, I look Iranian. That's all you need to say. <laughs> Thank you. It's very kind from you. <laughs> uh, listen, I want to get into all that you have learned about Iran and some of your views about our community and the future of the Iranian people from your perspective in Rome as an Italian. But let's hear the story about how this began for you. So from what I understand... About 25 years ago, you were a university student in Rome, and a girl Mm -hmm. stops you and starts talking to you? What's the story there? Oh, yeah. I was just in the the, the middle of the town. I was just in the middle of Rome, and a girl stopped me in the the street and started to talk to me in Persian. And I said, I'm sorry, but I don't understand. I don't understand you. I'm sorry. What are you saying? And she said, where are you from? Uh, From Rome. Are you sure? (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I'm from Rome. And, and then she told because you look like Iranian. I, I was mm, I was sure that you were Iranian, but, but this is just a story. I mean, it's, it's a, something very curious. But then I was very, very interested in, uh, in Iran, its history, uh, its art. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I read uh, the Shahnameh, 
by Ferdusi, and so I just want to discover this country, this culture. And so I decided, okay, now it's time to go. And it was uh, 2005. Okay, let me get and to I, that. First of all, though, I mean, given that she's had such an impact on your life, how fabulous was this woman? I mean, what? <laughs> that, that, you're still talking about her 20 years later. What impression did she leave on you? No, 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 no. I did never, never see so again. Just, just, uh, just that time. She's one of the few Iranians. Because I, I think so you're, pretty. you're, you're married, but I don't think it's to the woman oh, that, yeah. that spoke Farsi to you twenty years ago, right? No, no, no. yeah, okay. <laughs> so, no, uh, Antonello, before we get into, uh, you know, what you going to Iran? Just give me some background. What did you? You're this Italian kid. You, you, you know, you're in Rome. What did you know about Persian culture? and Iranians before you, uh, well, before you met this woman, but also before you end up <laughs> taking a trip to Iran. What did you know growing up in Italy about Iran? You know, we in, in uh, at the school, we study the old Persians and uh, the Greek Empire and so on. Then when I was a child, it was the time of, of the revolution in, in Iran. So every day I saw uh, the TVs uh, and uh, Khomeini and so on and, and, and all the, the, and the war between Iran and Iraq. Then I, I worked for a while for Amnesty International, for the press office of Amnesty International. So I knew the situation of human rights and um, civil rights in mm. Iran and so on. And I, we have a, I have a, an idea uh, of this of this country. But then, uh, you know, the, in the 90s, um, all the, the stuff about the blogger from Iran, uh, boys that uh, decided to open the blogs on uh, on Iran. And I, and, uh, I remember that I met a guy um, whose nickname was Kalantar, and he was a very, very fun boy, very, very uh, smart boy. Who is we had we were in contact, uh, and I write to him, and he described me the situation, the political situation in Iran, and so on. So when uh, after a couple of years, I decided, okay, maybe now it's time to to see directly. Yes. And just some months before my first travel, I met in Rome Azar Nafisi. Uh, the writer. Oh, it was very, very um, kind. Uh, we had a conversation at the American uh, Institute here in Rome. She was guest for for a month or two, and uh, I had an interview with her. And we were talking about her book and the situation. And in a couple of weeks, uh, there was the election and the election of uh, which Ahmadinejad won for the first time. Yes. And so after that, that shock, I mean, the, the first impact uh, through Mrs. Uh, Nafisi, I decided, okay, maybe it's time to go. It sounds and, like there was a, a, a number of different moments in your life that were pointing you towards this being something that you should follow some some gut instinct that you should follow because it's oh, yeah. you know i mean in 2005 let alone today um for a guy sitting in rome uh, there's a lot of options of places you can travel to it's a um it's an interesting choice <laughs> to decide to go to iran uh what were your let me ask you about that first trip because obviously it was so pivotal it leads to what you've been doing for the last uh, well since then for the last 16 years um which mm -hmm. is very involved in various media around uh um iranians and persian culture what were your first impressions antonello of iranians and iran when you first landed there you know it was a great great shock but a positive shock 
because uh, in a sense you are afraid of something people said where are you going to are you crazy to Iran and you know it was just two years after the, um, the war uh, the United States that attacked uh, Saddam Hussein in Iraq and the and so on and uh, for many Italian people all the Middle East is a is a place of war of uh, terrible things yes and uh, and of enemies you know after uh, um, 9-11, uh, even here, even uh, in, in Italy, a lot of people uh, started to, to look at uh, Muslim people and to Islamic countries uh, as uh, dangerous countries, as uh, enemies. And I decided, no, I, I don't think so. I don't think that the, that the people are our, our enemies. Um, ideology is our enemies, uh, states and, uh, and, other, and other things. But I mean, not not people, not every every common people. In in those years, I traveled a lot in Egypt, uh, Tunisia, Turkey. It was just a moment to discover um, sure. people, uh, uh, countries in the Mediterranean Sea, and so I decided to to look uh, over <laughs> to to go more. Uh, to east in eastern yes. countries and so but it was iran i i just decided in two or three years before that i want to uh, look to see iran so despite the the negative and dark stereotypes that existed yeah. particularly in the backdrop of post 911 uh saber, sure. saber rattling you arrive in iran and you 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 say you experience what you say is a positive shock what what was the positive shock well, that was a shock because People in the street, uh, every every time, every second, stop at you and say, "Welcome. Where are you from? Uh, what do you think about my country? How can I help you? Do you want to come uh, with us? Do you want to come to dinner uh, to my house?" It, it, it was real, for real. I mean, <laughs> in, in my third trip, I met a family on on my on the on the flight, and then they came to my hotel uh, some days later, and they wanted to to take me to the house. Beautiful dinner, a beautiful night with them, and we are still in, talk, in contact. And also, I mean, uh, country is very, very beautiful. It's gorgeous. Yes. Uh, the, the the night I arrived in in Esfahan, I I couldn't believe that it was so empty. <laughs> that place, that square at night. I mean, it's incredible. Or in Persepolis, you say, where are tourists? Where, where, why <laughs> we all doing the same things? Maybe in a lot of towns in Europe that are beautiful, interesting. But this is another another world. It's, it's great. It's uh, fantastic. Did it feel on some level like, I, I know for me, uh, there's certain places I've been to in the world. It makes no sense. I mean, you know, because it's the other side of the world and I may not have any <laughs> roots there, but suddenly I feel a sense of home. Did you feel somehow, yeah. I mean, I have to ex expect that, that your answer is going to be yes, because only two months later, after that first trip, you go right back to Tehran. Is that right? All right. It's, it's right. It's right. I, I wanted to get back because I didn't know uh, a lot of things. I just stayed in, in Tehran just a few days and I want to learn more about uh, the capital and more um, everyday life. And so I found a family that invited me and uh, two months later, I was a guest in their house and we spent a couple of time uh, preparing uh, Noruz, my first Noruz in, uh, in Tehran and it was very, very beautiful.
And I mean, I feel at home. I feel at home in in in, in these places with these people, uh, people in the streets in, in the night. Uh, you know, I travel. Uh, I mean, uh, a while. I saw um, countries in South America and in Europe and North Africa, but nothing is like Iran. Nothing is like being in Iran uh, among Iranians. Um, Th- those first trips, Antonello, lead to your you writing your your first book uh, about Iran and Iranians called "The Boys from Tehran," uh, yeah. and uh, you were curious about underground youth culture. So we're situating this in the mid uh, first decade of the two thousands. Uh, what did you find about underground youth culture in Tehran that surprised you, perhaps? What surprised me a lot was the curiosity uh, of uh, Iranian uh, young people. I was trying to discover something about them. I was asking something, but uh, I discovered that they knew a lot about my country and my culture and my even my politics, even my politicians, even my uh, books, my writers. Uh, one day I was in a bookstore, Shari uh, Ketab, and uh, we have a, a we had a discussion with a lot of people about uh, Iran and Italy relationship, cultural relationships about Iran and Italy. And there was uh, uh, some guys, some uh, students, some universitarian students that know everything about Italy. They they asked me something uh, about uh, Italian philosopher uh, writer that even uh, even uh, people here in Italy <laughs> doesn't know don't know now. <laughs> and, but they, you know everything. And he was a student of uh, an engineer uh, faculty in Tehran. So I mean, this is very very interesting. This was this country that we saw from Italy as a. You know, an old country because uh, there are the mullahs, uh, the, the ayatollahs, and so all these old people. But then it was the 70% of uh, Iranians that were under uh, 35, and they have all um, a life, a style. This is everything different from the ideas we have here in Italy yes. about Iranians. Yes. And it's curious because, as I understand it, you then go back to Italy, you go, you mm-hmm. go back to Rome, and realize that, unbeknownst to you before, that there is actually a sizable Iranian community that you had not known for uh, about oh, yeah. before in Rome. What, what does the Iranian community in Rome uh, think of Antonello Sacchetti, the Italian guy who's into all things Persian? <laughs> Uh, oh, but maybe it's, it would be better to ask them. <laughs> but uh, I know, no, I have a lot of, of, of friends here, and uh, a lot of people that I really thanks because they appreciate my 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 work, my my ideas. Uh, you know, sometimes you find someone who, who think, who are you? Why do you are so interested uh, in my country, in my politics? Who are you? You are a spy. You are uh, something from the government, and right. you know. Right. I had some troubles because there are politician groups that are not so friendly uh, with us. But in, in particular, the, the most part of people I know it was very, very, it's very kind. And, and also, we started to have a, a Nauru's parties, Charshambesuri parties here in Rome. It's something very, very beautiful and strange to have a, a Charshambesuri just in front of St. Peter church but it was very very beautiful just to get it on the record you're saying you're not a spy for the regime 
<laughs> Oops, but maybe. <laughs> and if you were, would you even tell us? I don't think so. So the jury is out. Sure. <laughs> uh, I understand you started to then organize group tours to Iran. Who who would yeah. go on these tours, and where would you take them? People that decide to go to Iran are very interested in, uh, in Iran, in this country. Uh, you know, after the nuclear deal in uh, 2015, there was a, um, a boom of um, tourism in uh, to, to Iran, and a lot of a lot of, of people in, in Italy wanted to to go there because it, it was something new. It was very uh, mm. very new, and then uh, Egypt became very dangerous. Syria was in the in the Impossible. middle of a war. Yeah, yeah. In uh, some other countries in the Middle East became um, uh, no zone, no off limits, and so a lot of people started to discover Iran. Unfortunately, last uh, two years, last uh, one last year was very, very, very bad for this because now we we cannot travel. But I think there is a, a lot of people that wanted to to know to know Iran and. Uh, Every every mm, mm, person that I met and uh, that uh, went to Iran uh, said that it was a wonderful travel, mm. a wonderful tour, wonderful place to to see. You've been to Iran more. You said fifteen to twenty times now. Like you, you've lost count. Yeah. You don't even know how many. Times. Where where are your favorite places? I, I know you mentioned Esfahan earlier. Uh, are there particular places that you go each time? Do you have a a favorite coffee shop in in Tehran or a favorite uh, <laughs> uh, lake that you go to or something? I mean, where where if if, if uh, well, you could take me for an example since I haven't been there since I was five years old uh, as a little kid. Okay. Where where would if I said I'm going to Iran tomorrow? tomorrow where would you take me firstly i will take you to tajrish square in tehran because this is a the, the place i love you know it's a the place of uh, medunet tajrish it's a it's a place in the northern part of the town and it's a mix of uh there is a um a bazaar but a, a, um i mean an authentic bazaar real bazaar, not for tourism is people went there to to shop to 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 buy foods and uh-huh. so on there was the Mamzadeh, there was the uh, mall, just um, some meters uh, Bolantar, <laughs> and there was a bookshop. I mean, it, it, it's Iran, a little Iran there. It's something of, of, of everything, okay. of the uh, tradition and uh, modernity. But this is uh, Tehran. Another town that I, I love, love very much is Yazd. Yazd, I, I think that in the last year, years, uh the the center of the town now is very very beautiful because they i think there was a, a work on old buildings and so on and it's a small town it's not so big as uh, tehran or shiraz or mashad or Isfahan. and then kashan kashan is very very beautiful all, all the traditional houses in kashan i think if you go to iran you have to spend almost a night in a traditional house in kashan it's a it's a dream night. Wow. <laughs> Where are the people the the most welcoming? Oh, I think in Yazd. Yeah, uh, I I know that that people in Yazd are very traditional, very sonati, but they are also so comfortable. Everything, everyone was always smiling. So 
I don't know. I, 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 I like them very much. And uh, I'm very young, very uh, curious about, uh, about you, about people. I, I like them very, very much. You, uh, Antonella, you've now written a number of books about Iran, and you're considered, mm-hmm. a, as I said in the, int- in the introduction, an expert on Iranians. You appear on Italian television when networks are looking for someone to speak about issues involving Iran and Iranians. Do you, in terms of the documentary work you do, when you go and interview Iranians uh, on the streets, etc., or officials, uh, do you feel that you get a certain access by being non-Iranian, because you don't have the baggage of being perceived as being with any political side or faction. Sure, sure. No, no. I, I'm lucky in, th- in this. I have this opportunity because I'm not Iranian. I have the opportunity to talk as I think, and uh, and I and I'm not involved in uh, in political uh, games there. And, uh, and and people likes to share their opinions. I mean, to to know what I think about their condition, their situation. I mean, for sanctions, for example, or politics, or something that happened just like uh, last year for um, Soleimani killings or the disaster of the Ukrainian airplane and and so on. And, and I think this is this is a I'm I'm lucky to do can to do this, but uh, you know. It's not so easy when when I have to talk about it in Italy, because sometimes uh, broadcast media, Italian media, wanted that I say something they they think. <laughs> uh-huh, <laughs> if you uh-huh. are not so uh, decided to go against Iran, to say no, it's everything wrong, whatever everything uh, Iranian government decides or say is wrong they decided to okay maybe maybe it's better to talk with another one uh i have my opinion i mean i i, I try to uh, think mm-hmm. to see a thing and say uh wh- what i see and uh, interesting you feel like there's a certain ideological um position that uh, italian yeah. media has taken on iran in some cases that and if you don't toe that line if you say something too positive uh, they they don't like having you there as a voice. That's interesting. Sure. Uh, for example, I, I don't I don't like nuclear power, nuclear energy, and 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 of course I don't like nuclear weapons. But if I say okay, but why all all, all this um, um, stuff, all this uh, um, Iranian nuclear, and you have nothing to say about the Israeli one? Hmm. Why? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I can see that's going to be game. that's going to be problematic <laughs> for you. Yeah, but the, the yeah. other thing is that when you're talking about uh, the Iranian community, I mean, it makes me a bit sad to be honest. But it's not it's not a new a new idea, which is that we we being Iranians, uh, if I can generalize, these are of course generalizations, but that we in some cases tend to trust the outsider <laughs> more than we would a fellow Iranian. In other words. You seem to be saying, if I could read between the lines, as I say, as a documentarian, they will trust you to speak to you because you don't you don't have a horse in the race or you don't seem like there's an angle for a monetary benefit the same way they they would in uh, an Iranian doing the same job. Well, but I I think they they understand them. I I can understand them because it's not so easy. 
you know, the, here in Rome, there are Iranian people that live here since uh, 50 years. They did ju just run from the Shah during the after the Mossadegh, the coup against Mossadegh, and then uh, someone who, who arrived after the revolution. And you know, they they passed a very 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 hard time, uh, very bad time here. And and so I I understand that for for them. It, it's important to to understand who are you and why do you want to talk about Iran? Want would want to know to meet them? For example, after um, the, the the Green Wave, uh, after the 2009 elections, yes, there was a lot of politi of Italian politicians that tried to look as the defender of the Iranian people you know uh, it was just uh, in in a in a, in a week uh, a, 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 an, an army of uh, uh, Iranian experts uh, people right. that even maybe don't know where I Iran is opportunistically and, uh, yeah opportunistically oh, yeah. yes sure sure and, and a lot of i, I knew uh, very young uh, young uh, people uh, students here that they fear for a um, interview for something that they said uh, with these people, and they had no 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 fear, no uh, no sense of of uh, opportunity to cite um, to quote their names on so on, and so I, I can understand them. It, it, it was a problem. It was very it was very bad time. Yes, although my point was that they trust you sometimes more than they do other Iranians. Maybe just because. Uh, they, they know that I live here. I don't have a business. Correct. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're not making and and you you don't do. There's no financial gain for your exploration no, no, of Iran, no. right? You're not doing this for money. No, 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 no money. No, 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 no power. And, Antonello, looking at your website, diruz.it dot Italy. Uh, there's a, a wide range of information there. There's a, a wide range of things you cover from um, cultural elements like food or something to, you know, Bani Sadra, the, 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 the president at the, the time of the revolution, to uh, Reza Shah and the, the coup 53. How do you curate and choose what you're going to cover on your website and podcast? You know, it, it all started with my curiosity, and so I'm very, uh, I love very, very much history and contemporary history, and so in in this sense, Iran is a precious cave. I mean, there are a lot of of things and um, and stories from from Iran, but when we started this uh, podcast uh, last year, uh, uh, for the first um, two or three weeks, uh, just. I found something to to talk about uh, with friends, maybe um, for example about movies, cinema. Because in Italy, Iranian cinema is very very popular. When uh, Kerostami and um, Panahi uh, had their first success uh, outside uh, Iran, it was in in Italy, and so we started to talk about this. Then after two or three weeks, people started to ask me, "Why don't you talk about this?" Mm issue why don't you talk about can i can i come and talk about uh, my book uh, my research and, and you know now in italy there are a lot of young students young um, or young teachers at the university they are very 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 good because they uh, have learned persian very well and they started to 
work in research in Iran. And there are some examples, great, very, very, very interesting. For example, uh, a young researcher did a research about the old city, the old uh, Jewish city in old Tehran. It, it was amazing. And, and she mm-hmm. made a, mm-hmm. uh, we made a podcast last year. A lot of people follow us because it's very, very interesting. And they are able to, to go there, to talk with people and, uh, and to translate books uh, from mm-hmm. directly from uh, Persian to Italian and vice versa. And so it, this is very, very new for us and is, well, and is very, very good, very, very useful. You mean they're in Italian translated from Persian as opposed to yeah. translated from the English. So that's so interesting and heartening to hear. What do other Italians uh, say to you about your um, your passion for, for things Persian? You work in, in communications for an Italian business yeah. society. You work in the internet and press office. Do you, do they know that you have this other life as a passionate oh, yeah, follower yeah, yeah. of Iranian culture? And, and what do they or your other Italian friends think of oh. it? They ask me always two things. The first one is, uh, are you converted to Islam? <laughs> <laughs> no. And second is, uh, your wife is Iranian. No, <laughs> no she's Italian. <laughs> um, but it's, I, I'm, I'm quite strange for them. Yes. Do you? Do you, uh, I, I didn't actually realize that your wife is Italian. Do you, does she come to Iran with you? Has she? Yeah, has she caught the yes, bug? Yes, is she now infected with the uh, Persian, uh, seduced by the Persian culture as well? Oh, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. At the first, at the beginning, she was quite, quite afraid. You know what? Why this patient? <laughs> then the first time I remember that her first day in in Iran. We were at Golestan, in the, in the garden of Golestan, and uh, suddenly I saw a family, a family group that uh, came and started to talk with her. And suddenly I saw that uh, she was start to crying. And uh, so I asked her, why? What's happened? Uh, she said, well, but people are lovely as you told, as you ever told. People that are asking me uh, my number, asking me what, is, what I think about uh, this country, uh, what I'm doing in my life, and so on. She was surprised, and it was wow. a very, very beautiful scene. Wow. <laughs> when you came back, people are, rob- are lovely. And also, I, I took my parents uh, to Iran some five, five years ago. Oh. Uh, and uh, it, was, it was very beautiful. You know, now my father is 86, so... I mean, what did they say about Iran? Oh, no, they were enthusiastic. They, they, they was very, this was a great, a great travel for them. They they made a classical tour, uh, you know. In uh, in and, and then we we went there during Ramadan, so it, it was very particular the atmosphere because people at night uh, went out uh, and have dinner in the park. Uh, sometimes my father say. Hmm, Unfortunately, now I'm too old to to come back to Iran, but I love I love it. <laughs> Antonella, have you figured out? I mean, I was going to say, can you put it into words? But of course, you can because you're a you're a journalist and a writer. What what is it about Persian culture that most appeals to you? Uh, I think people, Iranian people. I always say that the best monument, the best things to see and to discover in Iran is people, are, are Iranian people. Hmm. Uh, it's something that's very strange to to say. Uh, people always think that uh, Italian people are lovely, Italian people are friendly, and, and so on. And yes, it is. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe uh, we are quite uh, warm. But uh, Iranian are, are other things. 
it's another it's another word i mean it's uh, something that they have to do with tarot maybe but it's always very very beautiful this, this is a, a poetry in life it's a it's a style there is a persian style a persian way of life i mean and uh, and all also i i think also that there is some link between us between uh, uh, our heritage from the Roman Empire and the Persian one. Well, I, um, I, I always grew up feeling like there are some similarities between Iranians and Italians. Our our passion, our zeal, our um, our desire for great food, and our you know, family yeah, values. Sure. You know, uh, do 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 you believe that there are, that we have a, a bunch in common? It's Iranians and oh, Italians. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and especially uh, people from Rome and Iranian. You know, there is an, an ironic taste in, in living, uh, a sense of, uh, okay, uh, we, are, we, we just saw everything in history after 2,000 uh, years of history. And so we have maybe sometimes cynical uh, view uh, upon life, upon history. But, you know, some, some years ago, I was talking about with, a, with an Iranian friend about the President Trump. In the United States, mm -hmm. and I said, ah, I'm, I'm very, I'm very scared about him. I'm, I'm, I'm very worried about uh, things for Iran in this period. And, and he um, told me very, very quietly, you know, uh, we had, in, in Iran we had Mongols, Arabs, uh, Turkish invasions. We have uh, three thousand uh, years of history. Oh, even Mr. Trump will pass away. You know, will go away. <laughs> yes, when you take the long view, it certainly makes, makes these things look like a blip. You've mentioned a couple of times stereotypes and ways that mm -hmm. Iran and Iranians turned out to be different from what you um, expected or what others might think. What do you think the greatest misconception about Iran and Iranians is? Is about women, I mean. You know, be, because I think is uh, the, the the civil rights, civil women rights. This is a problem. I mean, I know this is uh, the discrimination, but the first time, or, no, or the second time, I was in, in in Iran. I asked my my friend. She's a woman, and a family has a husband and four sons, and so on. And we were uh, walking around in, in Tehran, and uh, suddenly I, I asked her. Man asks, but don't you think there is a problem? We are spending all this time together, you and me, uh, just alone all, all, all the day. And she was uh, stared at me and said, "What did you think you, we are in Saudi Arabia?" <laughs> mm -hmm. And so I, I learned something about it. You know, I, I, this, this is my, this is my. I, I, she was for for job. She was a, a tourist guide. And uh, and I and I work uh, for weeks uh, away from from uh, from house. I traveled. I studied. So what, what do you think about it? I don't know, I, and I feel a little bit ignorant. I feel a, a little bit <laughs> unfair mm -hmm. with this uh, question. Have you? Um, I mean that 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 entirely makes sense. That despite uh, not just stereotypes and not and despite the. Um, rigidly sort of anti-democratic uh, 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 laws that might patriarchal laws that may, sure. may exist around for, for women in Iran that women uh, Iranian women themselves are very strong and and um, independent and empowered as you say at least the ones in the urban centers that we know how have you seen 
Iranian society change in the last 15 years? It occurs to me that you've got an interesting perspective as somebody who's been going there regularly since 2005 Mm -hmm. and who has such an interest. How would you say things have changed either within Iran or for Iranians outside of Iran? Well, firstly, I saw a big disillusion in my first travels. I mean, I, I saw people very tired about politics, about economy, you know, during the Ahmadinejad years. And uh, at the at the end of the time, uh, it was a big fear in people. I, I, I mean, in uh, 2012, I remember that all people that I met said, now in a couple of months, it began a new war with Israel. Um, uh, we are sure of this. It all was, was a kind of darkness in, in the country in that moment. Uh, then after the, um, the victory of uh, President Rouhani, in, in, uh, in almost suddenly, uh, it changes everything. You know, uh, I remember that the, the, two years before I arrived in Tehran and my uh, my phone uh, didn't work and no line in um, for internet. The internet was very, very slow. In a, in a in in a couple of years, everything was changed. There was a, a a big great atmosphere, atmosphere of hope, and then after the deal, the nuclear deal. But in a sense, after uh, another two or three years, uh, another another wave of delusion, another wave of, yes. of sadness. You know, uh, people said yes, but we hope uh, something uh, changed in everything, and uh, the economy is low, and in rights are slow, uh, are, are changing very, very, very slow. Uh, now, uh, uh, really, I don't know. I don't know. I think that is a, it's not a, an easy time. To be Iranian. Yeah. Mm. That is, in fact, uh, I mean, let me just say, first of all, that it's been uh, so great to talk to you. I, I I, love the story of how you've, uh, this passion has come to you, and I love what you're, all that you're doing in terms of your, your really, your genuine interest uh, that you're parlaying into educational and interesting uh, different platforms that we can consume, although it'd be helpful if some of us spoke Italian so I could understand all of your podcasts, <laughs> but, but the ones in English I certainly have enjoyed. Uh, but let me end off with asking about where you think, just from your perspective, obviously these are things that uh, you represent yourself on, but uh, where you think things are going for Iran. You know, you just spoke about disillusion. Uh, probably the most common thing I've heard of, uh, from Iranians uh, within Iran or visiting there in the last couple of years certainly would be that between the sanctions and the dire situation of the economy, um, uh, the coming of COVID, of course, uh, and, and the damage that that's done, and then the the crackdown of the regime on um, democratic protests and shooting down airplanes and all of that, that, that there is a very... Um, dark and cynical, uh, if not nihilistic view of a future for Iran. Where are you at on this? Are you hopeful for a more democratic and free Iran in this moment? I am hopeful, but I'm not, I have a lot of fear. I, I fear that in the next two years, Iran had to face um, problems very, very, very Hard, very, very big. I know uh, there is a, a leader that is quite old. I don't know uh, what will happen when he will um, when he died. Uh, I mean, Mr. Khamenei. Uh, I, I think that the, the the problem or the situation is there is no 
another there's another uh, generation of religious politicians and maybe it, it ended with these these figures with these leaders with these uh, um, uh, politicians but i see that after these uh, politician there is uh, the pasdaran there are the the military uh forces there are there are the, um, the army not the army not the regular army but the, the pasdaran the besiege and uh, all um, almost uh, also in the um, famous ta- ta- tape from uh, mr zarif that in these days uh, we are going to listen there is this uh, this uh, this issue i mean uh, what will happen after um, after this, after this first 22 years of Islamic Republic, I think, I hope it will be, it will change in a democratic Republic, in a, in a real uh, democratic system. And I, and I think that in the uh, civil society, there are elements to hope for this, but there are also uh, very, very um, powerful and, uh, and dangerous enemies of uh, a real democracy because uh, um, military forces are, are also a uh, economic power now, and uh, I think that no one in the world want to lose their interest and their power. Antonello, it's uh, I, I appreciate your perspective. I appreciate you sharing it with us. Uh, it's uh, it's actually a great joy to to get to talk to you. I hope I see you on a trip to Rome, and uh, perhaps you can play tour guide and take me to Iran one day as well. I, I thank you so much for doing this today. Omidvaram. <laughs> Omidvaram. Thanks to you. Merci. Talk to you again. Khali mamnoon. Khodafes. 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 Thank you, sir. Antonello Sacchetti, an Italian writer, documentarian, and podcaster with a passion for all things Iran and Iranian. His website can be found at diruz.it, diruz.it for Italy. Antonello Sacchetti joined us from Rome, Italy today. Microphone's back on for Groovy Shia, the fabulous Keon. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I will never uh, not find the Italian accent charming. It is very charming. Yes. He is, uh, that was, he's very charming, that man. Maybe the charm is amped up a little more when he's saying so many nice things about Iranians, mm-hmm. but it's nice to hear. It's certainly a different picture of Iran than uh, we get in some places, but uh, a very rosy picture. I mean, he's uh, yes. he's very enthusiastic. <laughs> I could see some Iranians sitting going, settle down, buddy. Yeah. You know, we've got our problems. Uh, what would you think there, Kia? I, you, like you said, he's very charming. And it's almost, it's very fascinating for me when someone that's not Iranian is so interested in our history and our culture. Because, like, for us, it like, it makes sense. It's yeah. who we are. It's our blood. So when 
when it's other like cultures you're right yeah, yeah. when other cultures have such like this man my god that's such a dedication to learn about mm-hmm. another culture that's beautiful and somebody who comes from such a rich culture himself exactly. comes from an italian culture exactly yeah, 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 and yeah. it's it just it, it made me realize um you know when you go to another country you bring back a piece of that country with you Nobody ha- has had that opportunity to do that with Iran, you know. Um, the first chance they got was through Anthony Bourdain when he went to Iran and sh- gave just a little glimpse of what it's like there. That, you know, it's, it's well, not, not nobody. All. I mean, there's a lot of, in fact, I always lament the fact because I, I suspect it might be difficult for me, uh, all the things I've said over the years, political things, whatever, to, mm-hmm. to go to Iran, as yeah. so many of us talk about. I, I'm always actually jealous of non Iranians mm-hmm. because it's, mm-hmm. I, I say, hey, you could probably go with impunity it's not a big deal for you and so someone like Antonello goes and and can really experience I mean you know all the new things that are being built in Iran is too these boutique hotels and these beautiful gardens and these sites and stuff that uh, um, again I mean one always has to temper these um, idealistic visions of Iran with with the difficulties as well but uh, he made me jealous of of his regular he trips to Iran. made me crave yeah. to go back to Iran. And those of you who are listening in Iran right now, they, you know, you're lucky. Yeah. You're lucky, yeah. clearly, somebody like Antonello. Uh, it's also something that other than, I mean, I was a really little kid, so I couldn't mm-hmm. experience it. But other than before the revolution, it's something that Iranians around the world haven't experienced as much, too, in the last uh, few decades, where, you know, to have people go to your country of ancestry yeah. and imagine being Italian you know we have a lot of Italian friends mm-hmm. and here in Toronto is a huge right. Italian community right. you know they're constantly in the position of hearing oh my god I went on vacation to yeah. Capri to exactly. Milan it was amazing you know they know they know how beautiful their homeland is but and it's not to say that Iran is probably just as if not more beautiful but we don't have that experience of constantly right. hearing from yeah. people who are visiting it because it's a shame yeah I, I hope one day That'll change. That's the uh, refrain. <laughs> <It keeps> it. <laughs> anyway, uh, very, very interesting. Uh, and for those of you, by the way, who do speak Italian, uh, a lot of, um, almost all of Antonello's content is is in Italian. He, he's carrying on these podcasts, speaking to Iranians in Italy uh, who speak Italian. And so it's, uh, uh, it's fascinating. Anyway, nice to have him on the program, of course. Uh, your thoughts about him, post on any of our platforms or email us at info at rookmedia.com. Rojan Houchiar, the fashion designer, the woman behind La Femme Rouge, coming up in just a few moments from Vancouver. But first, it's Monday, and you know what that means. Letters of the Week. I should explain. Reza is, has <laughs> run out to deal with a technical issue, and so Shia couldn't even finish it. So He's we're like, missing Reza. It, uh, <laughs> we we've dreamt of the day where we don't have to hear Reza in this part segment, and yet now it feels so empty. It just feels weird without it now. What do we got, uh, Kia? What All do we got right. in the letters? So, like I said last week, uh, we released a three-part series titled Assessing the Pahlavi Dynasty, 40 Years After the Death of the Last Shah of Iran. So on that, uh, we had Abbas Milani, Professor Abbas Milani, who wrote a few books on the Shah, as well as Andrew Scott well, Cooper. One, one main book. One main book, The Shah, the Shah. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Andrew Scott Cooper, who was the writer of the... What's the what was the The Fall title? of Heaven. The Fall of Heaven, yeah. yes. And as well as Mohammed Amini. 
who's also a writer. A historian and writer, yes. That's right. So, as you can imagine, we have a few different opinions on that uh, that And they all, we should just uh, explain, I mean, for people who didn't listen to the series, we invite you to. It's Mm -hmm. on all of our platforms, uh, uh, Assessing the Pahlavi Dynasty. Uh, On the occasion of the 40th anniversary, this this year has been the 40th uh, anniversary of the death of the last Shah of Iran, Mohammad Reza Pahlavi. Uh, These three historians uh, have differing opinions. Yeah. Uh, right. And I guess that's reflected in the letters. That's I, I right. Imagine. Yeah. So uh, first off, we have a Masoud Faqihi wrote, Best analysis and an honest discussion and interview. Thanks and hope you do more interviews like this. Thank you, Masoud. Thank Appreciate you. It. And then we have Tina Baruti wrote, In love with Rook. Fantastic job. Nice. Thank you, Tina. And then we have a Mustafa Noor wrote, Abbas Milani was a Maoist who was imprisoned during the Pahlavi era for being part of a militant group that wanted to overthrow the Shah. Abbas Milani forgot to mention that out of the goodwill of the Shah on his birthday, he pardoned Abbas Milani and released him from jail. The ungratefulness shows still today. I thought you should know the background before diving into everything he says. You know, I've heard this opinion before. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Mustafa, for your feedback. Right, and then we have a Steve Sohanaki wrote, more podcasts on this topic, please. Okay, right. what does that mean? We just uh, keep doing the Pat Lavies over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we could, but yeah. there's lots to talk about. <laughs> All right, well, thank you, Steve. That's yeah. Sohanaki, by the way. Sohanaki? Sohanaki. Sohanaki, okay. My apologies. Uh, and then we have someone th- that created a username um, just to write this message. Uh, it's a username titled Propaganda Fake News Must Buzz Off. So he or she, I believe it's a he, wrote, I do respect and appreciate you, Sir Andrew Scott Cooper. Thanks for your honesty. Unlike those other Persian language speakers who have no Persian blood and only speak the language. We Iranians are shameful to have such people like them among us. They spread lies to us about our lovely Shah. But as the Shah has mentioned in his last interview, Persians are smart people and they'll find out the truth. And now we know our enemies aren't foreigners. It's those so-called fake open-minded people such as Milani and Amini, and shame on them. From a 24-year-old guy who lives in Tehran, Iran. Special thanks to the Rook team, by the way. Thank All you. Right. Special thanks to the Rook team at the end there. Put it there <laughs> after that letter. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But that, mean, that means something. For someone to write this from Tehran, Iran, like it's, that's the thing with history. You have to read it a few different times from a few different people to get the true nature of what really happened. It's still hard to say, you know? Well, there's different perspectives. Right. This person has a perspective. I love that. Uh, thank you. Uh, I, I guess maybe you didn't feel comfortable giving us your name. But of course not. thank you for writing to us from Tehran, giving your perspective i will also say you know abbas milani's been on the show a couple of times every time he's on lots of people tune in and mm-hmm. lots of people really really like him so we do get a diversity of opinion mm-hmm. about uh, professor milani and uh, i guess that's natural yeah there you go <laughs> and and his shah book is of course uh, yeah a big seller not balanced. just outside of iran but uh, inside iran that's in, right in farsi yeah uh all right. Yeah. Then uh, look at that. It's time for the letter of the week. No. Woo. 
yeah. Why does it sound like there's so few people? <laughs> We're only missing Reza. Letter of the week. So this week's letter of the week goes to a Zoya Katuli. She wrote, I enjoyed all three episodes of the series and even listened to them a few times each. Very informative. Three different perspectives on the Pahlavi dynasty. As an Iranian living outside of Iran for over a quarter of a decade and being young at the time of the revolution and having lived during the Shah's regime when I was a teenager, it brought me such sweet and sad memories. Well done, Jian. Wish we had more on this topic. Wow, that's Very a great nice. thing. Listened a few times each. Yeah. To thank you so much for that, Zoya. Uh, and thank you. That, yeah, that's lovely. I appreciate it. Thanks to everybody who, who's written in. I know we got a bunch of, of, of other mail. We'll try to get to it uh, in the coming days. Keep posting on our platforms. Our email uh, is, again, info at rookmedia.com. Uh, thank you to Zoya for the letter of the week. Uh, Zoya. Yes. For the letter, letter of the week. And thank you to Fabius Keon and Groovy Shia and Captain Reza in absentia. Well, my next guest today is an Iranian-Canadian fashion designer, stylist, and entrepreneur who combines Iranian and Middle Eastern designs with modern and sustainable materials to show the Western world what she says is the true power and uniqueness of Middle Eastern women. Rojan Hushiar was born and raised in Tehran. She started her education in management, receiving her master's from the University of Tehran, and later got a certificate in shoe and bag design and pattern making from Arsutoria School in Italy. Rojan catapulted into the world of fashion by founding La Femme Rouge in 2013, starting with a successful collection of handcrafted shoes in Tehran and then expanding to accessories and clothes. Since then, La Femme Rouge has also taken pride in becoming a vegan brand and emphasizes sustainability and ethical business. After moving to Vancouver in 2016, Rojan enlarged her market through North America and Europe. She's now distributing her designs and products in Iran, Canada, the U.S., Germany, UAE, and Kuwait. Rojan's work and brand have been featured in Harper's Bazaar, Lucy's Creators, amongst others, and have also been part of fashion shows and events in Italy, Canada, and Iran, and right now. The woman behind La Femme Rouge, Rojan Houchiar, joins me from Vancouver today. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hi, Jian. How are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm very happy to have you on the program. Congratulations on all your success. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thanks for this opportunity. You know, no disrespect to the beautiful city of Vancouver, where I have spent a, a lot of time in my life, but it seems a bit counterintuitive as the place to, to run a burgeoning fashion empire from. We, we might think of Paris or Milan or, or New York. What do you like about basing yourself in Vancouver? It's it's not about that. Um, my immigration plan to Canada was just a family choice, and it doesn't uh, anything, you know, it wasn't related to my business. But um, I don't think, you know, location and where, where you're physically based matters anymore because, uh, you know, uh, we're in an area of internet, and this gives us, you know, the chance and opportunity to be in touch with 
any part of the world. So it doesn't even matter where you live. Just uh, people in Vancouver, yeah, yeah, that seems a little bit boring, but I find them very caring about what they wear and what they um, actually would buy because they know what exactly conscious purchasing means. And it is, it is really important for me. So it is a good place for me because it is really related to my brand. Right. I am having, um, you know, a sustainable vegan brand. I'm going to get to that. So, so you don't have any angst. I'm not in Milan where all the action is happening and I need to be there for my brand, etc. You can shine everywhere. Um, and, and you should set goals for it. You know, I am always passionate about uh, my work and um, I love what I do. So I have a steady source of uh, motivations. So that drives me to do my best. So hello, wherever I am um, in Vancouver, in Milan, in Paris, in London, obviously I want to be there. Um, it, it is it is true. Yeah, I love New York. Yeah. I love London. I love Milan. <laughs> you know, I can shine everywhere. So, you know, yeah. you know that that said, you are in Canada, and you've talked about what you see as minimalism in Canadian fashion, yeah, and yeah. and how you intend to create some excitement in that mix. Tell tell me what minimalism in fashion means. So let me tell you why one, uh, one thing about um, you know differences uh, between you know fashion in Canada and Iran. Um, I, I just uh, talk about it. Um, it might surprise you, but Iranian fashion scene um, in Iran. Um, has been really outstanding and overwhelming and powerful. So we have a lot of creative, you know, fashion photographers, fashion designers, stylists, models, you know, um, female models, male models, and their works are really stunning. So um, I am Iranian, and you know, this competition there is really demanding and people taste in fashion is really unique. I, I mean, it is amazing. Here in Canada, minimalism is just the key. They want to be, you know, simple. That's it. Simple, simple, classy. So I think um, I can dedicate my brand, hopefully, to have a little bit impact, to add a little bit, you know, um, sparks and anything like excitement to this right. Canadian fashion. So uh, I think I can do that because, you know, they need it. They really need it with, with you know, Persian and Middle Eastern pattern. Patterns, um, this this colorful patterns, this colorful, you know, um, everything. So Mishen Tagiratro, but in Middle Eastern touch Hadad Ben Azara. It's funny because when you talk about, um, I mean, it's long been a stereotype as as long as for my whole life, pretty much being in Canada, that we. We are very simple when it comes to fashion, but I, I wasn't sure if that's just, you know, an unfair stereotype about Canadians or if that's true. You're <laughs> saying it is true. What, what does simple mean? Like we basically, Canadians don't want to stand out. We, they, yeah, yeah, they, exactly. they gravitate to, towards something a little more uh, conservative, I guess, compared to... Yeah, yeah, exactly. They don't even want to, you know, break the rules in fashion. They just want to be very simple and classy. Like me, they just have a uniform. Right. 
That's right, it. Right. Lululemon yeah. and Aritzia are, are yeah, big Canadian, but it's true. Uh, yeah. Now, now it's interesting. I want to get to the, the, the scene in Iran that you just talked about. Um, take me back to being there as a kid. First of all, you, you were a kid in Tehran who used to dress up in your mom's high heels and fabulous <laughs> outfits. Tell me about, Rojan, the neighbor who saw you at one point oh my and God, asked yeah. you to adjust the dress and sparked your imagination for getting into fashion. Yeah, yeah. So um, back in Tehran, um, when I was, I think, seven or eight years old, we had a kind neighbor. She was she was really, really professional tailor. So um, I was always obsessed with my mom's fashionable, you know, clothes and dresses and high heels. And I was always in life, <laughs> love with high heels. So um, I would wear them everywhere, all around the house, walking through hallways and everywhere. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, I knew that I couldn't wear it outside because they were really big for me. So um, I can remember one day <laughs> she uh, saw me playing all around the hallway and she told me that uh, she can help me and she could adjust the dress for me. And I was like, oh, my God, really? OK. <laughs> so she took me to um, she took me to her place. So she uh, she just showed me, you know, how to adjust and how to uh, do the rest, how to, you know, um, do everything and how tailoring works. So it was really cool and fun for me. And she showed me her, you know, yeah, she had a, a, a box it was like a box of strings and buttons and it was really cool for me and you know for that exciting thing I was really you know um, obsessed so as همون روز اون اصلا childhood memory من شد و اون زن از اونجا رفت ولی خب این همیشه سیمین جون واسه من یه رول مدل بود even though the neighbor left she left that impression on you yeah, exactly. That is true. Yeah. So yeah. was it possible that as an eight-year-old in Tehran, you, I mean, would you even have thought at that point that this could be my career? Did you think that I'm going to be a fashion designer or did it just sort of pique your interest a little bit? Um, Baby, Hamisha, I was in love with headpieces and high heels. Valley, um, I, I would draw on my mom's heels like with a wide up uh, wide up pen and i was always uh, dr- uh, like drawing on them on, on on her dresses and everything but um, you know mama man hamisha migoft na to bayad hatman mudir shi doktor shi mohandes shi ye chizi ke hame maman baba ha migan back in tehran we have it yeah well yeah, i was yeah. going to ask you about that you say you're, you're, i'm just going to translate for the folks that you you're saying your mom would say that uh, uh, you should definitely become a doctor or something like that but it sounds like you were a very stylish kid and a teenager yeah yeah and, and because i thought your parents were artistic do you, i mean it, that they sort of enabled you going into a non-traditional stream like fashion as opposed to the pressures of middle or upper class persian kids to be a doctor or something like that you know art has been part of our family always because my father he is a professional calligrapher but he's doing it as his hobby and my mother she is always fashionable and classy she's like and i was always inspired by her and by my father's art so um you know this persian poetry you know my mother's sense of fashion it was really amazing so growing up i i always you know change up my regular clothes and shoes but Hamisha I was always get a lot of you know compliment 
for my styles and you know the ability to mix and match everything together because همیشه دوست داشتم هدپیسه عجیب بذارم یا لباسامو عجیب با هم میکس و مچ کنم so my looks were always different so um, they were always you know weird and uncommon um, most of my friends they kept telling me to just um, take this passion you know really really seriously and take this you know as a just go for it and turn it into something bigger this is how La Femme Rouge just you know I've launched it and this is how La Femme Rouge was born you know you've really mastered the art of bicultural speech where you just slip into Farsi and English throughout the conversation <laughs> I, I'm sorry <laughs> we're just assuming that everybody understands both but that's okay most of oh our listeners God, around I'm the world sorry. do that's a, no that's absolutely <laughs> fine uh, um, you, you talk about launching uh, the La, La Femme Rouge in Tehran in 2013 and I want you to I mean you talked a few moments ago about the the, the nature of the vibrant nature of the fashion scene in Iran Paint, mm-hmm. paint a picture for us, uh, Rojan, of, of that fashion scene. You, you've talked about the stereotypes that people will have about contemporary Iran and how it's actually a very stylish or fashion-forward place. How, oh, yeah. how hard is it, though, I mean, really, to successfully launch a new fashion brand uh, in Iran when the public expression of individuality in clothing especially for women, is suppressed. Mm-hmm. You know, that you kind of have to do this underground to a certain extent, no? Um, not not that much. Honestly, long story short, you know, the fashion industry in Iran um, you know, had its own renaissance after U.S. sanctions. So we had, you know, lack of import and we, uh, the very high expenses of clothing uh, from outside you know, resulted in textile industries and designers to try, you know, uh, to meet the needs of the society. Interesting. Um, you know, through, yeah, yeah, through Instagram, through, you know, the, they just made their uh, platforms like Instagram, Facebook, their own website. Also, we have many fashion enthusiasts. Um, they've been going to, you know, Milan, Rome, Paris, London, New York, everywhere, like me, Vancouver, um, etc., um, to study fashion or fashion design or fashion marketing and in, in this past few years there are many of them they ju- they are really talented you know um, th- these talented boys and girls they just came back to their home country back in Tehran and they launched their own brands and it is amazing today you know these designers they're creating you know art pieces I mean art pieces because yeah. they represent Persian elements and you know Middle Eastern elements and um, everything patterns along with Western trends so I'm more than proud I am a Persian designer but we are really different and talented and we know uh, you know uh, we know what we want to exactly do and we're just looking for an opportunity to do the better to do our best you know it's so interesting it's so yeah, interesting yeah. let me take what you've said one at a time because you've said so many interesting things there first of all you're not the first person to come on here and say that there is this renaissance i mean i i uh, bahar islami who was on just a month ago talked about the same thing this this renaissance yeah. in 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 fashion design and and local designers in Iran um, you're the first person who's mentioned this thing about the sanctions it, it it makes sense to me but it's fascinating so what you're saying is despite the fact that these the new set of sanctions that came in with the Trump administration despite the fact that they may have 
devastated the economy and led to inflation and some difficulties in many sectors. What it also did, though, was created the conditions where, for example, in the fashion industry, there needed to be um, indigenous work done. There needed to be local Iranian designers to fill the space of, of the stuff that wasn't being imported anymore. And exactly. so inadvertently, this was a boon to to young designers. And there's been this renaissance, you're saying, huh? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Miduni, they, they, they became stronger. But I دیگه نمیتونستی کاری بکنی و خودمون پروداکشن رو انجام دادیم از صفر تا صد یعنی از ماتریال فابریک ایوریثینگ تو پروداکشن تو تیلرینگ ایوریثینگ ایوریثینگ هاد تو سادنلی بی دان این ایران that is so interesting and but now explain to me just because i'm not someone you you have a a, a production team in tehran still you're you're back and forth there uh, to explain to somebody who doesn't go to iran like me or or can't mm-hmm. um how do i understand this private public paradox i mean like like i do know that in 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 private parties in iran for example people are much more chic than they will ever be here you know but but yeah. that's not necessarily oh. the case in public or it cannot be you can't wear a short skirt and high heels on the subway in tehran so how 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 as a designer do you plan around that نمیدونم احساس میکنم خیلی به این موضوع ربط نداره برای اینکه انقدر پروداکشن تو ایران قوی شده و فورس ورکرا حالا تیلورا شومیکرا اوریوان همه ایمپلویا و ستفا آردی میدونن این سیچویشن و کاندیشنی که توش هستن رو همه با هم کنار هم خیلی خوب دارن مثل یه تیم ورک کار میکنن و اینا رو درست میکنن درسته that's right که we can't wear like mini skirt and you know short dress Says, Valley, we have liked uh, like long um, coats, oversized long coats. Alan has some trend show the oversized clothes, right? So, yeah, my hammer on trend or the random ball me conan and you know, you know, change card and situation are as invariable on barba and got hooked to nest and in diversity or ejot conan in Iran. Kehich Farine Mikone, any honestly, Harkasik Mira Iran, Vorambin as a man and got Adame Hubo Hoshi, maybe Nikahi. Well, that, that's really interesting to me. And again, I can't, I know you're not doing anything wrong and you're living w- within the rules, but I can't, <laughs> I can't figure out necessarily what the government there decides is cool and not cool. I mean, certainly when it comes to for music, yeah. for example, you know, I, I know that there's some people who, who, uh, you know, can't put their music out and others who can, and they decide this music's okay. This isn't, is there ever a time when the government, um, comes after somebody like you or or you know gives you a warning or says you know you don't design this kind of thing or have you ever do you ever get that kind of warning or are they, are they completely oh hands off not really not really فقط یه چیز جالب من واسه هفته دفاع مقدس تو ایران one time یه کفش درست کردم یهو out of like همین جوری گفتم let's do something different و نشون بده که who the fashion who the you know the real fashion designers in Iran are so uh, I made a you know um, like an army boot که پشتش I, I made um, دو تا بال گنده با پلکسی گلاس و اینو اتچ کردم به این آرمی بوته و از آرت پیس فرستادم توی این نمایشگاهه و من شاید باورت نشه برام یه تقدیرنامه خیلی بزرگ فرستادم and they were shocked 
که مثلا ما همچنین فشن دیزاینرایی داریم با همچنین آیدیاهایی و میتونن این کارا رو بکنن به نظر من این این تناقضه شاید داره کم کم درست میشه و بهتر میشه ولی به من آنستلی تا حالا هیچ کس هیچ مشکلی نکرده اتفاق نیفتاده thank god that's yeah. good to hear you you moved to canada in 2016 and you have successfully expanded your business you now have staff as i mentioned not just in vancouver but also in tehran why why let me let me take some elements of what you do one at a time first of all why is it important for you to weave eastern elements into your designs i mean you could presumably even if you want to create exciting and crazy interesting new designs they don't necessarily have to be middle eastern but you've made a point of that tell me why um you know um uh, my, my my biggest dream was always you know to combine this iranian and middle eastern fashion with modern and sustainable elements and materials so this love um this love to you know this this creativity in the world of fashion so made me to think more just you know to encourage my audiences my my customers to make more you know kind of cruelty free sustainable fashion uh, choices and products and um, also show the western world you know this eastern woman that they, they are really empowered stylish and inspiring so um i think um but in um eastern elements and designs many excitement or joy ایجاد میکنم توی western design or product do you feel like um rojan i i don't know if it's just because i've become aware of them or not but mm-hmm. i feel like all of a sudden i'm seeing more more of what you're doing not just from you but other designers that are bringing middle eastern or iranian styles to um to 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 western clothing are you seeing that as well or am i imagining yeah that? yeah no no yeah that's true you know why let me tell you a story always when we when people picture iran and middle east they have a false image because um you know it looks like um and feels like it, you know it, it is everything everything is black everything is right, dark right but yeah 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 the first thing i uh, i am aiming to do um exactly my brand is just to change this image and show them how you know diverse and colorful you know middle east is persian art architecture culture poetry you know um, they are fascinating in the world and and i want to combine this beautiful cultural heritage with this you know modernity and innovation in western world um they should know more about it you know um i think i think we should you know raise their awareness um it is really important uh, for for me and i think it, it's good to just expand their knowledge because um, especially in fashion industry here back in tehran i mean in iran so um yeah i think man be shakhse mitunam dedicate konam brandam ro to in zamine va vaqan be neshun bedam be western world un image vaqiye iran va khawarmiyana ro ke enqadr qashange enqadr colorful enqadr diversity tush ziyade you you put an emphasis on what is called slow fashion which is i imagine the opposite of fast fashion which is uh and i happen to know about fast fashion i once did a, a little short documentary on it it's it's it, that's the term for 
inexpensive clothing produced rapidly oh. by mass yeah. market re- retailers, usually in res- in response to the latest trends. They figure out what the latest trend is, then they make this cheap clothing in a mass market way. How do you take steps to engage in the opposite of that in slow fashion? So, um, first of all, let me tell you about fast fashion. Fast fashion is fashion that, you know, moves quickly from runway to consumer. That's it. And, uh, you know, um, and then after that, to landfill. So some stores, as you see, they change the entire inventory and their windows in every two weeks. And it's it's ridiculous. So the whole process in fashion industry, like, you know, dyeing, washing, I don't know, ironing, cutting, sewing, everything for clothes is, is a labor and resource intensive process. So this constant production of fast fashion industry, it, it is really harmful, not also not only for environment, but also for it is really harmful for people who works in it. I was learning more about, you know, world of fashion and fashion industry when I was, you know, starting this this career. So I, I thought it is unethical. So um, most Big, most of these big brands and high-end brands um, in fashion industry, they don't even care how much, you know, um, negative impact they're making on nature, on environment, on their workforces, and even on people's mental health. You know, we have size zero, we have size two. So um, it, it is, it is funny. It is ridiculous. So, so how do you, how do you avoid that? How do you do this? Exactly. This, this. This triangle of designer, manufacturer, and buyers. So um, I thought it would be really good for me to just, you know, in La Femme Rouge, we, we, we are trying to support artisans and local tailoring artists, shoemakers, workforces, employees. And also we are trying to encourage our customers to make more ethical fashion choices. Just to میدونی فکر کنن خرید کنن اگر یه لباسی میخری فکر کنی که بتونی بیشتر از پنج بار این رو ستایل کنی و بپوشیش با to think about it at the, at the time of buying it to actually think about whether you're going to exactly. be using this more than once etc yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah exactly and you know that's why we are producing only one collection per year and each collection so yeah has its own story that's it uh, so I think I am um, I am trying to just uh, you know raise the awareness and expand the knowledge of people um, to to understand what what they are doing I think the concept of La Femme Rouge is based on supporting on artisans and environment I am, I am really, we are really honestly eager to, you know, sl- um, stay as a slow fashion, sustainable fa- uh, brand. So um, it is something that we are absolutely proud of because um, the main priority is, you know, to um, produce uh, less products, you know, slow made, high quality products that would last many years. Right. Like in fast fashion, where does the where does the veganism come in? Because I, I understand the the, sus, the sustainability piece, mm-hmm. uh, but um, and I can see how you're going to tie in ethical eating, uh, you know, in terms of um, the environment or doing things, uh, you know, ethically. But um, t- tell me when it was that you knew you wanted to work in the the vegan part into into your designs and into your production. 
سو دوباره یه ذره فارسی حرف بزنم راحت صحبت کنم ویگن بودن پارتی از ساستینبلیتی ساستینبلیتی از سه بخش ایجاد میشه یکی اینکه مثلا اکو فرندلی باشی ویگن فشن یا گرین فشن و اینی که فر پیمنت داشته باشی به پرسونلت اکو فرندلی فشن یعنی اینکه تو به انوایرمنتت کمتر آسیب برسونی از ماشینالات کمتری استفاده بکنی و اینکه کارگاه ها و فکتوریز تا جای ممکن نزدیک باشه به محل زندگی پرسونل ویگن فشن اند گرین فشن مینز که تو از پروداکت های استفاده کنی که مثلا فر توش نباشه لیدر جینین لیدر توش نباشه به جاش بیای از ویگن لیدر استفاده کنی آه. یا چیزی رو جایگزین کنی که ایتس لایک لیدریه که از ماشروم به دست میاد از چوب پنبه به دست میاد ماشروم لیدر همیشه پرسونلت راضی باشن ولی I think fashion industry is beginning to change its practices because Uh, in, in my point of view, consumers are putting pressure on brands yes. to be more transparent. Yeah, yeah. yeah with supply. Well, I was going to ask you about how much it how, how much it becomes a selling point. I mean, on the face of it, Rojan, it it would seem like it's challenging. Like it's it's completely laudable. I love you for for wanting to, to take this on, but. You know, starting your own business in general within the last 10 years, as you have, is mm-hmm. is a challenge. Moving to Vancouver, you're building a fashion brand. So mm-hmm. you've got all the, 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 the challenges of, uh, you know, the industry and making your name known and, you know, getting your designs out there and the production and the distribution and all and the advertising. All of that is already there. Mm-hmm. Then you add on the piece where we want to do this. Uh, locally and we want to do this handmade and then you want to do this in slow fashion style you want to be environmentally sound you want to be vegan I mean I'm sure that there's people around you business people who have said you're crazy why are you trying to do all of this you know at least uh, let go of a couple of these things you know maybe (laughs) put aside the vegan thing for a few years until you build a brand more what do you say to them Um, you know what? I am ambitious and I'm passionate about my work and I do whatever I can do to just, you know, to just achieve my goals. Um, most of the people around me, especially my friends and, um, you know, my parents, they're always telling me that you would lose most of your customers, audiences and, you know, consumers and your sale would decrease significantly and whatever. But I think I am the one who is dedicating the brand. If you look at Stella McCartney, she is my role model in fashion. She has my favorite vegan brand and um, her brand call, uh, is Stella McCartney as well. She started her own fashion label and business and she faced a lot of backlash. And uh, you know, she was like, oh my God, what is happening? When she left Chloe and she started her own brand as well, and she didn't even care. She just called out all the famous brands, you know, for the harm they were making and they were doing on environment. So her impact now is really significant and is significantly visible and huge. So this is where I wanted to, I want exactly to be and میخوام همینجا برسم. چرا من نشم؟ چرا من ستلا مکارنی دو نباشم؟ We can do whatever we want to, yeah. Why are you so driven? 
How did? How, <laughs> no, no, no. It's great. Why? How did you? Bec- but why? Why do you think you're so? You're so passionate. You're so ambitious. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm crazy. I think I am crazy. <laughs> yeah. Do you really think you're crazy? Yeah, yeah. I think I am really crazy <laughs> because because I'm working 24 hours a day. Um, you know, because of, you know, the, the different time zone that we have in Iran. So I should work with Iran from 9, 9 p.m. Um, till 3 or 4 a.m. every single day. And then from 10, 10.30 a.m. again to 5 p.m. here in Canada, Vancouver. Wow. Um, I should work with my team. I have a lot of, you know, meetings. I I, oof, oof, I have a lot of things to do. So I don't know. I think I'm just ambitious and driven. Do you worry about balance of life? How do you how do you make work sure that you... Work-life balance. Yes. No, yeah, I should work on it. Do you have yeah, time to I work know. out? Do you have time to, to go for uh, yeah. a, a rollerblade in beautiful Vancouver? Yeah, thank God. I have Fadina Zlari. She is one of my best friends he, here. So, she is amazing. Wow. Do you go to her gym? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. She's, yeah. she's fabulous. That's, that's great. Yeah, you guys have found is. each other there. Yeah, yeah. So, I think I'm workaholic. Um, I don't know. I'm passionate about my work. I think I'm So, it is crazy, yeah. Where do you want La Femme Rouge to be in 10 years from now? Oh, I don't know. I'm... <laughs> I, I think uh, hopefully I want to, you know, just getting more global recognition and then um, just to be able to just have more physical stores, especially in New York, <laughs> London and Paris, maybe. And um, I don't know to showcase my upcoming collections in um, again in London, Paris, New York. Yeah. Because they're their ultimate home of fashion. So well, yeah, that's, that sounds very doable for you. You can <laughs> you're going to do that, and you can do more. What uh, it's such a pleasure getting to talk to you. What what is your message? Uh, I, I think you know, even though you're relatively young yourself, I mean you you're you've, you're becoming this real role model. What what is your message to other fashion designers, or perhaps other young fashion designers from? Iran or the Middle East, what would you say to them if they aspire um, to go into this uh, this line of work? Just, just, just one, one thing. Just break the rules in fashion. Be creative. That's it. I love it, Rojan John. It's uh, been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, go do some kickboxing with Fadi Nazalari. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> Thank you so and, much. And congratulations. Congratulations on all the uh, success you've had. And we'll look forward to you doing more. We'll, uh, we'll get everybody wearing La Femme Rouge clothing. And um, uh, hope to see you in person before too long. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thanks for this opportunity, Jian John. Khodafis. Khodafis. Rojan Houchiard, founder of La Femme Rouge. She is an Iranian-Canadian fashion designer, stylist, and entrepreneur. She combines Iranian and Middle Eastern designs with modern and sustainable elements and materials. Rojan Houchiard joined me from Vancouver, Canada today. How about that, Shaya? Uh, I like Rojan, actually. <laughs> you know Rojan yes. from your Vancouver days? Uh, no, actually, from my Tehran's days. Oh, really? She was my... Oh. 
piano student actually I, t- I taught her piano wow yeah. you did such a good job of teaching her piano that she went into fashion <laughs> <laughs> that's true yeah. I thought you knew her because of Vancouver because no, you spent some time in Vancouver interestingly in Vancouver I, I I suddenly saw her I didn't know that she was in Vancouver oh. yeah. and I love that she trains with Farinaz Lari yeah, all yeah. of the rook guests coming together <laughs> and uh, you know <laughs> and by the way if you haven't listened to the Farinaz Lari uh, interview it was our, our second interview ever back to April of 2020 uh, check that out anyway uh, very lovely to have Rojan on the show uh, and she just couldn't stop speaking Persian <laughs> she just kept, I was like uh, <laughs> I kind of enjoy that she's so comfortable yeah. speaking uh, a version of a mixed version of uh, English and Farsi it's <laughs> yeah. really fun uh, good luck to her and we'll uh, be looking at uh, what's coming next from La Femme Rouge check her out at her site La Femme Rouge uh, this is full time for Rook for today. Thursday, Nima Nozeri. You don't want to miss that. Remember, for all things Rook, you can go to our website, rookmedia.com. Rookmedia.com, where you can hit the support us button and uh, become a patron of Rook. Thanks to the amazing team who put this show together producer Susan, Ponce of the Artist, Thoughtful Nagin, the fabulous Keon. Savvy Roham, Aray Merdod, Master Muhammad, Captain Reza, Groovy Shaya, and our buddy Shahram. Thank you to all of you out there supporting us and sharing our content. Please subscribe if you've not done so already on any of our platforms. That is free. And you can find me on Instagram at Gian Gomeshi. And you can find us all on Clubhouse at Rook Media. In the meantime, Mizu Mashi.